Another exciting thing is the unprecedented level of engagement and expertise that's being brought to bear to solve Africa's energy access problems. There are really a, a truly diverse set of resources that can provide energy services. And so I think it's a really exciting time just in terms of all the different technologies that are being deployed in Africa. I'm Eric Wanless. I'm a principal with Rocky Mountain Institute. I'm Paul Bodner. I'm a senior fellow at Rocky Mountain Institute. Warm greetings and welcome to Power People, a new podcast series from the Africa Progress Panel. The Africa Progress Panel consists of 10 distinguished individuals from the private and public sector who advocate for equitable and sustainable development for Africa. Kofi Annan chairs the panel and is closely involved in its day-to-day -day work. The other panel members are Michel Kamdesu, Peter Eigen, Bob Geldof, Grasa Machel, Strive Masiwa, Lina Moholo, Olushego Obasanjo, Robert Rubin, and Tijan Chiam. I'm Max Bankale Jarrett, the director in charge of the APP Secretariat, and also your host for this podcast series. In each episode of the series, we'll be discussing a range of issues linked to the 2015 Africa Progress Report, Power, People, Planet, Seizing Africa's Energy and Climate Opportunities, which sets out a path to the energy transformation that Africa needs. The Power People Planet report calls for a tenfold increase in power generation in Africa by 2030. Why? Well, because the need for modern energy in Africa is so, so urgent. Here are some stark facts. 621 million Africans currently live without access to electricity. And sadly, 600,000 die each year from household air pollution, simply because they rely for cooking on biomass. Throughout this Power People podcast series, I speak to individuals who are working to address this challenge by focusing on the opportunities that currently exist in Africa to, so to speak, power the future now. My guests for this episode are Paul Bodnar and Eric Wanless. What excites you and inspires you about what's currently happening in Africa's energy sector? Paul, I can take that one if you want. I think what really is exciting for me is the dynamism of all the methods that are being used to bring energy to different people and businesses, be it grid extension or mini grids or these small solar home systems. There are a huge diversity in the tools that are being used to bring energy access. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, and I think another exciting thing, which is related to what Eric said, is the unprecedented level of engagement, enthusiasm, capital flows, and expertise that's being brought to bear to solve Africa's energy access problems with a focus on clean energy following the Paris Agreement. Just the sheer level of activity and support that's starting to flow in is exciting, although as we've found, it brings new challenges and doesn't necessarily solve the problem just by virtue of the level of activity. Now we see a lot of interesting things happening in the energy field all across the world, in the US, in Asia, and in Africa. From where you've been working, what do you think it is that Africa must right now be learning from other regions? And what is it that maybe other regions can learn from Africa? In terms of what Africa can learn from other regions, there's a international best practice in, in energy systems is really something called integrated resource planning. And that looks at 
what all the options are available from standalone solar home systems to building big power plants to whatever it might be, including uh, resources that are also on the demand side of energy systems like energy efficiency. If you stack all those options up based on what you're likely to need, what's the best way to get from where you are today to where you'd like to be. And I think there's been a, a recent shift to doing more of that in sub-Saharan Africa. And I think the more that investments and energy systems are based on really thoughtful investment plans is really something that Africa can learn from the world. Would you like to add anything to that, Paul? I guess what I would add is that Africa is starting from a low base of electricity penetration. So In some ways, that clean sheet of paper approach is very different than the challenges that some other regions are facing now that have more built out energy infrastructure and have to change that infrastructure over from a heavily fossil fuel dependent approach to a low carbon approach. So in some ways, the challenge is greater for Africa because it's starting from a lower base and has to build that out. And on the other hand, the opportunity is also greater because Africa can leapfrog generations of dirty technologies that have health consequences that uh, require large build-out of grid infrastructure. So it's a very exciting time. And as Eric says, the key is not to just have a kind of Wild West gold rush approach where everybody is running around willy-nilly trying to build new capacity, but rather to take a smart, integrated planning approach that makes sure that new infrastructure is really being planned to serve the citizens who need it and with a view to fiscal sustainability for the government that's attracting in foreign capital and and other forms of capital. And and Max, I was just going to say, and related to the earlier question that you asked, uh, that I responded with the dynamism of all the different things that are happening, I think uh, what the rest of the world can learn from Africa is that there are really a truly diverse set of resources that can provide energy services to get people and businesses electricity fast. And so I think it's a really exciting time just in terms of all the different things that are happening and all the different technologies that are being deployed in Africa. Now, there is a perspective, and I tend to agree with it, that as far as moving the world towards a low-carbon economy is concerned, we have the technology the finance is there in the global system, but really it's the politics and the policy change that's going to make the difference. Now, with regards to policy issues, what has inspired you both and what has disappointed you since the Paris Climate Change Conference last year? I think when we were negotiating the Paris Agreement, our hope was that a successful framework agreement would actually end this period of intense political arguments at the international level about climate change and move us into a new phase where we're really focused on the hard work of implementation and transforming energy systems. I see a lot of very hopeful signs that that's the case. One of them is actually the unprecedented speed with which countries formally approved the piece of paper that was agreed in Paris last year, and that agreement is now entered into force, uh, which in terms of the way these things tend to happen at the international level is practically record speed and speaks volumes to the political significance and consensus of what was agreed, the scientific urgency behind that, and the economic opportunity. So 
I think uh, countries are now buckling down and focusing on those national level commitments that 190 odd countries have put forward even before Paris about how they're going to reduce their emissions over the next decade or decade and a half. And there has been an unprecedented level of support for countries in the developing world, including in Africa, to help achieve those. So that's all very reassuring. And the question is whether all that activity adds up to the kinds of emission reductions at the speed that we need. Now, we, we know that it's states that sign agreements such as the Paris Agreement, but governments come and go. There is some concern in Africa that maybe now there's a new administration coming into place in the United States that all this could change. Could you explain to people listening what actually can happen and cannot happen if the new administration wants to basically go against what was signed uh, by the Obama administration? So because the Paris Agreement has already entered into force, those countries that signed up to it are locked in for four years. And so a country like the United States will not be withdrawing from the Paris Agreement. Of course, there is a possibility that a Trump administration will not take the targets seriously that the United States set. Now, those targets are for 2025. And of course, a lot of work has already been set in motion in the United States to put us on a trajectory to reduce our emissions, which is what's happening. And the danger is that through neglect, a Trump administration could slow that progress, and that would then send a signal to other countries to do the same. But what's been encouraging in the last week or so is the number of messages coming from other major countries, including China, Brazil, Japan, the European Union, even Saudi Arabia, signaling their commitment to move forward with their emission cuts. So that's good. The other potential area of impact, which would be rather serious, is an impact on the funding that the United States currently provides internationally to support countries, including in Africa, to adapt to the effects of climate change and to transition to low-carbon energy. That funding, the president-elect has indicated, is on the chopping block as far as he's concerned. Now, not everyone agrees with him about that, so there's probably going to be a healthy debate on that question and one would hope that he would, over time, understand the strategic benefit of helping other countries prevent greenhouse gas emissions that in turn cause negative impacts on the United States. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is for 35 years, RMI has really been pursuing uh, business-led solutions to climate change and sustainable energy. And, and so I think fortunately for us, regardless of, of what happens in the Trump administration, we uh, will continue to pursue business-led and market-led energy transitions. And so even if you don't care about climate change, there's a big opportunity to save money and to help things run better through pursuing sustainable energy. Let me just add one more thing to that, because Eric is quite right to highlight this, that a lot of people do assume, and it's correct, that policy plays a very important role in advancing this agenda. But we've also reached the point where technology and markets themselves are driving the low carbon agenda forward. So it's no longer the case that only policy can move things forward and everything grinds to a halt. If you look at the cost of solar relative to diesel, and this is true for Africa, it's true for small islands where diesel generation is the alternative to solar in some particularly isolated locations, We've reached the point where solar has gotten so much cheaper than it used to be that a purely economic, rational decision 
is to use solar instead of diesel. And that's not a policy issue. That's just a cost issue. In the United States, uh, we're moving to a total transformation already of the mobility sector towards autonomous vehicles and electrified vehicles. That's not going to stop happening. So a lot of forces have been set in motion, which you need to look at in addition to following what's going on with policy. I'd like to turn now to a question that I ask everybody. And first, I'll go to you, Eric. If you had only 30 seconds to convince an African head of state of the urgency of addressing and advancing the energy agenda, what would your message be? Yeah, I'd say that human and economic development is fundamentally tied to energy access and that to actually capitalize on all the funding and excitement that's being devoted to the energy space in, in Africa, you need a, a strong sense of where your energy system is going. And through having a real strong sense, through a solid plan and solid analysis, you can really ensure that your country has what it needs in the energy system, not just what's offered by others. And Paul? I'd say if you're a head of state and you're concerned about the welfare and development of your people, then uh, there are very few tools that offer more positive opportunity or risk than clean energy. The positive opportunity is to take advantage of low costs and a lot of international interest to build out a clean energy grid. And the risk is that a collective failure to do that across the globe will magnify the impacts of climate change that are already being felt in Africa and whose costs may swamp all the other good work we're doing on the development front. Turning now to my final question, In your opinion, what do you think the Africa Progress Panel, chaired by Kofi Annan, can and should be doing to help advance Africa's energy agenda? I think what can be done is really helping to change the conversation from a focus on just building power plants or mini grids or even the the small solar home systems to providing energy services. You know, changing the conversation from being focused on just building supply and, and building all these widgets to how do we provide energy services, which are, at the end of the day, what, what people really care about. People don't care about electricity. They care about the services it provides. And so I think anything that can be done to shift that conversation from just how do we get you know hardware in the ground to how do we effectively provide energy services to people and businesses would be really helpful. I think that shift in the conversation really lets all sorts of cool things happen in the space. For example, that's how energy efficiency became one of the fundamental centerpieces of California's energy system. It's also one of the things that's driving a lot of the more innovative energy companies to change their business models for the new century. So again, I think it's helping shift the conversation from just how do we get power plants or or widgets in the ground or on the grid to how do we effectively provide energy services to people. Paul, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I'd say hopefully the era is over when you needed to bang the drum to have international donors and financiers and experts pay attention to this issue in the first place. We've got that attention. We've got the resources coming in. And I think a panel like this with its distinguished members who are passionate about uh, contributing to Africa's development and have quite a diverse range of backgrounds can help focus the attention of leaders in Africa on how to channel and harness all that energy and focus that we now have into a responsible and carefully planned build out of clean energy infrastructure because 
one does not follow from the other automatically. And so voices like theirs will be important to say, hey, this is great. We sort of passed a marker now where people internationally understand the opportunity here. And we now need to make sure this is channeled in a way that's sustainable for our economies and actually going to deliver energy services to our population and our business. Thank you. Just one final, final follow-up question to you, Paul. Power Africa was touted as a legacy project, legacy initiative from President Barack Obama. We have a new president who said on his campaign trail that he wants to undo a lot of things that uh, President Obama actually instigated. Uh, What's the likelihood of Power Africa being able to run its course and really do the good work it's been set up to do? Well, I think the good thing about Power Africa is that it wasn't just a presidential initiative. It also got a lot of support on Capitol Hill, including from Republicans. And there was legislation passed, which I believe is called Electrify Africa, which bakes this program and its objectives into broader U.S. legislation. So I am hopeful that Power Africa and its pretty common sense objectives and programs will endure beyond President Obama's term. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Wishing you a good day. All the best. You've been listening to an episode of Power People, a podcast series production of the Africa Progress Panel Secretariat. I am Max Bankale-Jarrett. My co-producer and studio manager on this podcast series is Dan Graham. For more information on the work of Kofi Annan and his colleagues on the Africa Progress Panel, please visit our website at www.africaprogresspanel.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Africa Progress. And please do join our growing community of over 1 million supporters on Facebook. We really look forward to engaging with you as we continue to actively promote and highlight the myriad opportunities in Africa to power the future now. Forwards ever and all the best.